There's a story I read years ago that still impacts me to this day. It's a story of an elderly woman who lived in a valley surrounded by mountains on every side. It was always her dream to go on the other side of the valley to the mountain, see what was on the other side of the mountains. But she never got to go. Too many babies to feed, too many people to care for, too many plows, too many fields to be plowed, and too much work to be done. So she never got to see what was on the other side of the mountains. Now here she was, an elderly woman, a great-grandmother, and the opportunity came for her to see what was on the other side of the mountain. She had taken to the top of the mountain, up to the top of the summit, and just by the time she got to the top of the summit, she said, stop, turn around, and take me home. And the boy said, but Granny, you've always wanted to see what was on the other side of the mountain. What would make you stop now? And not see that. And she goes, yes, Sonny, I've always wanted to see what was on the other side. It was always my dream to see what was on the other side. But I'm afraid I'll be disappointed. So take me back down and let me live with my dreams. I think in many ways, <clears throat> we are a lot like Granny. You know, we have dreams as well. But for some reason or other, those dreams are unrealized. We haven't experienced those dreams for whatever reason that might be. Those dreams have not happened to us. You know, we had dreams, but those of us that have gotten a little older, we recognize that some of those dreams have not come true, and they may never come true. Perhaps we never stepped out to make those dreams a reality, to experience those dreams, or perhaps events and circumstances in our life cause those dreams to change. For some, it may have even been that, you know, that that dream is replaced with something else, or maybe even God's call upon your life changed the dream that you had. So now the dream just remains a distant memory for us, something we remember, but we recognize it will never come true. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David has a dream. David has a big dream that he has for God. Uh, David is uh, living in the best of times. Uh, he's been king over Israel. He's united the two, the two kingdoms, Judah and Israel. He's made Jerusalem his capital. He's brought the ark of God into Jerusalem to establish the worship, to establish the center of commerce. He's really solidified the kingdom of Israel during that time. Verse 1 of chapter 7 tells us that the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. God had caused all warfare had ceased. All the enemies were defeated, and David had no more wars to fight. It was a time of peace. You could say that these are the best of times of David's life. His popularity was at the peak. Everybody was approval, gave their approval of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, it irons out or fleshes out the dream that David had to do something for God. David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man who had developed a heart for God. And because he had a heart for God, he was not afraid to dream big dreams for God. And that's what I want you to get out of this text this morning. <clears throat> Don't be afraid to dream. Do not be afraid of dream. We need godly people 
that have godly dreams. We need people that are not afraid to dream about what God might want to do in their lives. But also we need godly people that have dreams of what God wants to do in His church. <clears throat> we need those type of things. So there's some truths I want to pull out of this passage this morning for you. The first thing I want you to see is that there is nothing wrong with dreams. There is nothing wrong with dreams. David is in his palace and Nathan the prophet drops by. This is the first time that Nathan appears in the Old Testament. Nathan will be a pivotal person in David's life. He will be instrumental in David much later in his life. David, uh, Nathan was a prophet, but he's also a spiritual advisor, a spiritual mentor to David, much like Samuel was in the early part of David's life. So they're, they're sitting in the palace and they're enjoying some fellowship. Maybe they're talking about the kingdom. They're talking about the things of God. We do not know. The scripture doesn't tell us. But David begins to look around and he begins to open up about what God has put in his heart. He goes, he, he looks around and he sees the beautiful palace that God had given to him. And he makes these words in verse two. Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. And Nathan says, David, whatever you've got in your heart to do, go ahead and do it because God is with you. God is with you. I think Nathan must have been a Baptist preacher. Here's the reason why I say that. What Baptist preacher would not want to hear somebody in his congregation stand up and say, God has given me a vision to build a bigger worship center what Baptist preacher would not want to hear that? And here's David making that statement. But here's what's really exciting for Nathan as he listens to David. Nathan finally realizes that David no longer wants to be just a receiver of God's blessings. He wants to be a giver of God's blessings. He's changed his attitude from being a receiver to be a giver. And isn't it great when the people of God, when the children of God, when the people in the church suddenly decide, I'm going to be a giver instead of a receiver. Man, when you, when you come like that, you know what you are? You look most like Christ. You look most like Jesus, who gave himself for us so that we might have life. We should all want to strive to be a giver and not a receiver. Now, it's apparent as we go through the passage that Nathan didn't pray about this. Uh, he just said what, you know, what, what was on his heart, and I can't fault Nathan with that. Uh, Nathan wasn't going to be one who burst David's bubble in this situation. And I think the truth revealed by this response of this man of God is that there's nothing wrong with dreams. There's nothing wrong with dreams. Listen, David's heart was right with God. His intentions were clear. His ambition was toward God and not himself. It was a good dream. It was a dream that was powerful. And so Nathan encouraged David David, fulfill that dream. David, there's nothing wrong with that dream. We can learn a lesson from both of these men. We can learn from David and we can learn from Nathan. Listen, we need dreamers in the church. We need dreamers in the Christian life. And yes, we need people that encourage dreams as well. Too many of us live in that situation where we think it's our job to burst dreams instead of build up dreams. We think it's our God to, to break them down instead of build them up. Nathan didn't do that. David had a dream and Nathan encouraged 
that dream. That night, Nathan gets home, and in his quiet time with God, however God revealed it to him, Nathan discovered something different. Nathan discovered that God denies the building permit. He basically said, uh, hold on, Nathan, I'm not going to let David build the temple. The Lord refuses David the desire of his heart. The Lord refuses to allow David to fulfill his dream. No reasons given. We have no explanation from God in this chapter why it was refused. Now, later on, David will come to understand why he was not allowed to fulfill that dream. But in this situation, in this context, we have no reason whatsoever. And this is just one of those great mysteries uh, of God's purpose and God's providence. Sometimes God doesn't give us the reason that he won't grant that dream. And here's the truth I want you to glean, and it's the next, next point on, on your sermon notes. No does not mean God rejects you. No does not mean that God rejects you. Listen, my friends, sometimes God has no for us. He just says, no, I have something different. I'm not going to let you do it. And there's no apparent reason for him to say it. It's a good dream. It's a solid dream. Your vision is clear. Your ambition is clear. Your desire is clear. But for some other reason that we can't understand, God says no. You have something that you want to do that will bring glory to God. And God says no. Has it ever happened to you? Has it ever happened to you when, when you had this dream, you had this vision of what God, what God would have you to do, and God says no? It's happened to all of us. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it will. It will happen to you, or you're not dreaming big enough, all right? This is what it says. But even though God said no to David's desire, to David's dream, he also wanted to reminded, remind them that God had not rejected David. David, I reject that dream, but I am not rejecting you, and I'm not rejecting the people of Israel. In verses 5 through 7, Nathan go, uh, receives the vision from God. He receives the word from God, and God rehearses or reminds Nathan of everything that God had done for this people of Israel up to that point. And here's basically what God says to Nathan. He says, Nathan, and Nathan's going to relay this to David. He says, Nathan. I was with Israel all this time, and all I ever had was a tent, and we moved from place to place. Even though I did not have a permanent place to dwell, I didn't reject my people. I was still with them in everything they did, and he said, what I did then, it's still true today. I'm still going to be with my people, even if I don't have a place to which my name will be. He said, things are not going to change. And then God does something different. He not only sings out what he did for the history of Israel, but then he reminds David of what he has done, what he's doing, and what he will do. First, he reminds him what he did in the past. Look at verse 8. I took you from the pastor and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. God is telling David, he said, David, don't you remember where you were? He said, you were a shepherd and you were following flocks. He said, I took you from that position and now here you are, ruler over my people Israel. You're a king over my people Israel. David, I did that for you. 
He reminded him of the past. He said, then he reminds him of the present. Look at verse 9. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. It's just what we learned in verse 1, that God had given peace. God is saying, David, I took care of you in the past, and even in the present, I'm taking care of you, David. There's no threats to you whatsoever, David. I'm providing for you in the present situation. But then he goes one step further, and he doesn't normally do this. But for David, he did it. Why? Because David was a man after God's own heart. And notice what he says in the second part of verse 9. He now reminds him of what's going to happen in the future. He says, now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of the earth. He goes, David, I'm going to make your name great. Everybody's going to remember you, David. But then he goes one step further. Look at verse 11. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Do you see what God is doing? Do, do you see what's taking place here? David had a dream in his heart to build a house for God, a temple for God. And God comes around and says, no, David, I'm going to build you a house. That's what he's saying. You're not going to build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house, David. God is telling David, David, I've got something better for you. David, I've got something better in mind of what's going to happen in this situation. And that's exactly how God deals with his children. He always does that. Sometimes, my friends, God says, no. No, you can't do that. No, I don't want that done. There are some things that we desire to do. And we desire to do them for the Lord. But it's not in God's plans for our lives. It's not in God's plans at that moment. But keep in mind, every time God gives you a refusal, somewhere wrapped up in that refusal will be a beautiful promise from God to you. Somewhere in that. And then God gives David one of the greatest promises in the Bible. One of the greatest promises in the Bible, it is the heart of Old Testament prophecy. When you understand this, this passage... Because wrapped up in this promise that God makes to David is Old Testament prophecy. And it really brings the Old Testament home. You can't really even understand the New Testament if you don't understand this promise that God gives to David. Look at verses 12 and 13. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come, for your own, come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now skip down to verse 16. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now the immediate reference in verses 12 and 13, is to David's son, Solomon, who as of yet has not been born. Now, David didn't know that, but David caught it. He understood what God was saying to him through this. He says, you can't build the temple, but your son will. Your immediate heir will build the temple. So the promise extends to David's son, Solomon. That's where the promises of God work in, in the Old Testament, in, in, in prophecy. Sometimes those prophecies, those promises have immediate fulfillment. They'll be filled within the immediate future. 
But there's also promises given in the Old Testament, prophecies in the Old Testament that have an ultimate fulfillment somewhere in the future, not yet experienced at that time. That's what he's talking about here. So the promise that God has given to David goes beyond Solomon to someone else. And the Bible says in this passage, it says that his, his kingdom will be forever. It will endure forever. So if it's going to endure forever, it's going to be eternal. That means it's going to take somebody who's not bound by time, somebody that's not down by space, it's going to take somebody outside of time that can step in and rule eternally from David's throne because that's what God says. So it has to be a king somewhere down the road that will fulfill this ultimate prophecy. Now I know what you're asking. Well, who is it? I'm glad you asked that question. Turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 28 through 23. Now you'll be familiar with this passage. It's preached all the time at Christmas time. The angel Gabriel has come to Mary and said, Hey, Mary, you're pregnant. You know, you've received, you're, you're, you're going to have a son. And this is what he says, picking up the story in verse 31. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. The prophecy that God gave David 800 years earlier is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ, according to Luke, according to biblical prophecy. It's happened. And listen, my friends, someday, someday Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth. He's going to return and he's going to establish his throne on the throne of David and he will rule and he will reign over this earth forever. Forever. That's the promise of the Bible. That's what was said to David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. David had a desire to build a house for God. He had a dream to build a house for God. God turns it around and makes the promise to build a house that will last forever. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful promise that God gave to David. So keep in mind, every time God says no, every time he says no, he has a bigger fulfillment in the future. He has something bigger, a bigger promise that he's going to fulfill that will link you into his eternal plan for this universe. What an encouraging word that somehow, some way, God has used you as a link for his eternal purpose. You may not know what it is, but God says you're the link, you're the part that's going to be in that ultimate fulfillment someday in the future. So Nathan went back to David. And he said he shared the revelation with David. He shared the vision with David. I don't believe he omitted a word. And he did not apologize. He didn't go there and say, hey, David, got some bad news last night, man. I hope you don't take this wrong. I'm apologizing, man. I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger just because you don't like the message. He didn't apologize. As a matter of fact, verse 17 says he told him the entire revelation. He revealed everything to David. What a difficult task he had. 
What a difficult task. Can you imagine having to go before the most powerful man in the world at that time and say, him, no, you can't do what you wanted to do. Imagine putting yourself today and you have the task of telling Donald Trump no. Probably not going to be well received. Now you kind of understand what happened. I mean, what would he say? He's, you're fired. That's what he would say. Nathan would come before David and he would say, no to David. You can't do it. I'm glad they did that. You see, because Nathan told David no, but at the same time he told David no, he said, David, but I want you to know, God hasn't rejected you. He hasn't turned his back on you. He still loves you, David, and he's still got a plan and a purpose for your life. I'm glad David had a dream. I'm glad that David had a dream and that God encouraged it. It's a source of encouragement for each one of us. We do not need to be afraid to dream. But many of us are afraid to dream. We're afraid to step out and dream something big for God. But listen, this is what, what I want you to get. I would rather dream big for God and hear Him say no than never dream for God and never hear Him say yes. Did you hear that? I would rather dream big for God and hear Him say no than never dream and never hear Him say yes. We should be the same way. So be encouraged. God's no does not mean He's rejected you. But now we come to the ultimate question we have to ask, which is your third truth. How do you respond when God says no? How do you respond when God says no? Look at verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Seems like a small and insignificant little uh, verse added in there to prepare us for the great prayer that David is going to pray in the next section. But don't pass it over. Don't gloss it over. David did not sit in his palace and sit soak and sour. David did not go and throw a pity party for himself. What did he do? He went and he worshiped God. The God just told him, no, you're not going to do that, David. He went before the Lord. He worshiped the Lord. And that's the question we have to consider. That's something we have to understand. Can we still worship God when He says no? Can we do it? Can we still worship God when He says no? So David goes before the Lord. He offers praise to God. It takes up the rest of chapter 7. The thing you'll notice as you delve into the prayer, there's not one one note of bitterness in David. No resentment whatsoever comes from the lips of David. Can you take it when God says no? Can you accept a refusal from God without resentment? Can you take it when God says no? David offers up one of the most beautiful prayers in Scripture. Look at what he says in the first, second part of verse 18. Who am I? You might want to circle that. Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? The first thing David acknowledges is how small and insignificant he is before God. He said, God, who am I that you'd even pay attention to me? 
God, who am I that you would even consider me? I am small. I am insignificant. I am nothing. Nothing, God. Who am I? Maybe that's the first question you ought to ask God when you go to prayer. Say, God, who am I? Who am I, God, that I could even come to your throne and lay my petitions at your feet? Who am I? David then goes on and says, Lord, who am I that you would even reveal your plans to me? Even though David would never see the fulfillment of his dream, he still offered God praise. He still worshiped God praise. Most of us can't do that. Most of us can't worship God when God says no in our lives. What does David do? He goes on the passage and he begins to talk about the greatness of God. I mean, if you really want to look at it, he breaks into the tune, how great is our God. That's what he says. He said, how great is our God. And then he says, I, I could search the whole world over and I could never find another God like you. Can you do that? When God says no, can you say, how great is our God? Even though he doesn't let me fulfill my dream, he is still a great God. And then David goes from praise to petition. Look at verses 25 through 29. And this is a good lesson for us. But look at verses 25 through 29. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised. So that, stop right there. Every time, you, you've heard me preach for three, over three years. Every time you see that phrase, so that, you're supposed to sow that into your thoughts. Why? Because he's explaining why he wants him to do something. Listen to what he says. Do as you promise, what? So that your name will be great forever. Isn't that great? He says, God, don't do this for me. Don't do this so that my name will be great. He said, God, do it so that your name will be great. And David goes on. So that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer. O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy. Underline it, circle it, highlight it. He said, your words are trustworthy. David saying, God, I can take you at your word. Your word is truth. Listen, my friends, God's word is trustworthy. You may not understand it. You may not know how it relates your life, but every word in this book is trustworthy. You can believe it. You can trust it. You can build your life upon it. David said, God, your words are trustworthy. And I believe that your words are beneficial for me. You can trust them. It's those people that say, I, I don't believe this word is trustworthy. I don't believe this word is true. It, it's like a person sitting there and, and saying, said, well, you know, I don't really believe there's a such thing as oxygen. Uh, okay, you don't have to believe it, but it doesn't change the truth. It's the same way with the word of God. Just because you don't believe it's not true doesn't mean it's not true. He says, God, your words are trustworthy. And you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken. 
And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. This is a good lesson for us. Before David enters into his petitions, he offers praise to God. But it's not what we expect. This is not where we would expect this passage to go. Basically, here's what David says. Lord, make it happen. Lord, do what you said you're going to do. David prayed back the promises of God. And that's something we can learn as well. We can always pray back the promises of God. Listen, if you don't know what to pray, just open up your Bible and start praying God's Word back to Him. God makes hundreds of promises in the Bible for His children, for those who are faithful. If you don't know what to pray, just pray those promises. Let me give you an example. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. At the end of it, Jesus said, And I am with you always to the end of the age. That's a promise that Jesus Christ makes. He cannot break a promise. He's incapable of doing that. So you do, you come to that and say, Lord, make it real in my life. Lord, make it real in my life so that I can experience your presence in a powerful way. Lord, be with me always. You just pray it right back to God. Let me make another point of application. I don't know why God has said no to you on some of the things that you really wanted to do for Him. You know, I have dreams. I have dreams for my life. I have dreams for the church. I've had dreams for other churches. They haven't come true. I don't know why. I can't understand it. And you may not understand it either, but I can make you a promise. You will understand it someday. Someday you will come to understand all things clearly. If not later in this life, it'll be in the next life. And here's what will happen. You'll stand before the Lord. You'll go back over your life and you'll say, I wouldn't have done it any different, God. Everything you did for me was exactly the way you should have done it. Why? Because you will see things from an eternal perspective instead of a temporal perspective. And you'll look back over your life and say, God, you got it right every time. Every time. Now, I might have messed up, but God never messed up. He got it right. Even when He didn't let you fulfill that dream that you had, you'll see that God did not mess up. I want to encourage you to dream big for God. Don't be afraid to dream. We need to dream big as individuals and we need to dream big as a church. Even though God said no to David building the temple. Let me show you something. You don't have to turn there, but just write it down out the margin. 2 Chronicles 6.8. King Solomon, David's son. David's passed away. King Solomon has consolidated his kingdom. He's built the, ark, he's built the, the temple and now he's brought the ark into the temple and he's offering up a prayer to God and he says this the Lord said to my father David because it was in your heart to build a temple for my name you did well to have this in your heart you see what's happened God gave David credit for the dream that he had in his heart God told David David it's okay to dream it's okay even though it didn't come to fruition in your life, David, I want you to know it's okay to dream. And that's the truth that we need to gain. If we're going to develop a heart for God, we can't be afraid to dream. 
Your dream may not come true, but God knows your heart. And if your heart, if you are sincere in serving Him as best you know how, even when God says no, God will acknowledge what you wanted to do in your heart and give you credit on down the line, somewhere, somehow. Don't be afraid to dream big things for God. We're trying to develop a heart for God. We can't be afraid to dream. We need dreamers in the kingdom of God. We need dreamers in the church that aren't afraid to step out on faith and have big dreams for God. Perhaps you're one of those individuals in the church that you're looking for that. You don't know what it is that God has planned for your life. Maybe you don't know what the dream is for this church. I'm going to tell you what the dream is for this church. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Here's the dream that God has given me for this church. Is that we connect the lost people of Waco with the Holy God. That's it. Oh, you thought it was going to be some, uh, some three points in a poem or something like You thought it would be something radical. That's it. That's the dream. Connecting the lost and the unchurched and the de-churched of Waco with the Holy God. That's it. And so what do we do? We do everything in our power to make that dream come a reality. Now, perhaps you're the missing piece. Perhaps you're the person that can take that dream and break it into a reality. Just one piece. And that's why maybe you need a church home. You need a place where you can invest, a place where you can serve, a place where you can make a dream become a reality. I want to invite you to be a part of that. <clears throat> For others of you, maybe you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, I didn't talk a lot about Jesus. I set the table for him in Luke chapter 1. But I want to probably, if you will come back, if you will come back next Sunday, I promise you, if you will come back next Sunday, you are going to know all about God's grace revealed in the pages of the Old Testament, which a lot of people don't believe. They're, they have a problem rectifying the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New Testament, so they reject both of them. But I want you to know that grace is all over the Old Testament, and nowhere is it better revealed than in the story we're going to look at next week. It's exactly the grace that God bestows upon you and me. What you need to do is you need to open up your Old Testament, just write in a pink highlighter, grace, all throughout the Old Testament. Because that's what it's all about, grace. So be here next week, and we'll talk about that. But maybe we didn't talk a lot about Jesus. Maybe some of you need Jesus, Lord and Savior. I want you to know that Jesus had you on his mind before you were ever born. The old song said, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. God loves you. God has a plan. God has a purpose for you. And one of the plans, one of the purposes that God has for you is that you come to faith in him through Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. That's why God sent Jesus into this world. So that first he could establish a kingdom in your life and eventually establish a kingdom on this earth. Do you want to live under the rule and reign of God in your life? That's what the kingdom of God is. The rule and reign of God in people's lives. The first thing you do, you've got to say, I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. We can tell you how to do that. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to invite the praise team to come up. Jeremy's going to come up here and stand. Marcia will make her way down. 
I think she's back there. Yeah, she, she's going to make her way down. Maybe you want to talk to somebody. You want to say, you know, counsel somebody. Maybe just somebody pray with you. Maybe you got some questions you want answered. We'll be here for you. Would you stand with me as I lead us in prayer?